Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the fellowship as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. And if you are anywhere in the United States now, you are being swept off by the polarizing blizzards and cold winter storms that have hit just about every state, I think, in the United States. But here in Kentucky, it is cold, it is negative seven, and we have at least a couple inches of snow on the ground. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think most of the U.S. feels like the fellowship trying to get up Karathras and uh, being told (laughs) no by by the mountain. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm hearing some fell voices on the air for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I showed Sam a a video of this weather, like the storm coming in and Lake Michigan is a freaking hero. It's protecting us up here. (laughs) Um, If you watch like a time lapse of the weather of the storm coming in it, Lake Michigan just kind of protects the whole lower peninsula. I mean, it's still cold. It's going to get down to like eight degrees and we're probably going to get, you know, eight to 10 inches of snow, but compared to even what, you know, our, family and friends back home in denver dealing with it's nothing yeah yeah for sure and it's colder in kentucky than it is out here by a decent margin yeah people don't know what to do with themselves they are looting and rioting and i'm just kidding but it's it is pretty crazy everyone i've heard talk to are just like no I'm, i'm staying home i'm not going out on the roads or anything like that and and so far we've lost power at least four times this morning and so i mean it is what's eight eight twenty in the morning no it's seven forty five in the morning so we have you know we we still have plenty of of cold day to go through but hopefully i'm on my phone's hotspot, so hopefully that will get us through this this podcast but as far as babbling like butterbur anything else you'd like to add uh for your little update <laughs> well uh we had mom and dad in town for the last few days it was it was a lot of fun we uh went down to frank and booth uh mom was able to go to Bronner's and get a couple of things. She actually bought Evelyn a stocking and oh, cool. it, it meant a lot to her. She really wanted to buy Evelyn a stocking and mm. Bronner's they, uh, what do you call it? Embroidery it with her yeah. name for free once you buy it. So that's cool. Evelyn has a beautiful stocking with her name embroidered in it. Um, that Grammy gave her. So that'll, Aww. I'm sure that'll mean a lot to her as she grows old enough to understand that. But, we had a really good time with them out here and I feel awful because they left yesterday right before the storm hit to catch their flight a couple hours away in Detroit. And right when they got there, their flight got canceled and then they got rescheduled for 5 PM tonight. Jeez. Um, so it's, I mean, with the storm and how far away it is, that'd be, you know, five hours of driving, give or take to right. drive here and back. And that's, you know, assuming not horrible weather and traffic. So, mm-hmm. right. They're unfortunately hanging out at a hotel in Detroit just a couple hours away instead of staying with us another night, which, you know, would have obviously been just fine with us. So definitely shoot, man, that's rough. Yeah, it's it's kind of frustrating, but I I, I know they had a good time and it meant a lot to them to get to see Evelyn and interact with her. She was Mm -hmm. she was a little bit like stranger danger at first, like for the first 10 minutes. And then after that, like she just she loved being with uh, mom and dad yeah. so it made it made my heart feel full to see that yeah that's really cool that's awesome i know that's something we always you know talked about like just making sure that mom and dad are able to come out now that we've moved away like see 
whatever additions to our family come along and especially dad, right. you know, getting to share with him those, those awesome moments. That's really neat. Yeah. It's, it was a lot of fun and I, you could tell how much it meant to them too. So I'm glad yeah. it was able to work out that way. That's cool. Well, for us, uh, we have Ariel's parents in town now. They came in yesterday, so they came in just before all the craziness, um, Okay, which is perfect. Um, yeah, they drove in from Colorado, so they, they took three days. They brought their two dogs with them, and so we've got three dogs in the house now, and it was pretty funny to watch them all meet together last night and run around, and Pippin, of course, is trying to assert his dominance, like, this is my house, and <laughs> but, you know. They're, I don't remember they're having them fun. having, I don't remember them having two dogs. They just got one. So Einstein, the okay. little Maltese Shih Tzu yeah. thing, they got another one almost just like him. He's a little bigger, okay. but, but <laughs> so pretty yeah, much Pippin, the same. Pippin's having his way with him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Pippin is the bigger, stouter, <laughs> scarier dog for sure. But yeah, they're, they're, they're having fun. Um, but yeah, they're upstairs sleeping right now and I'm trying not to be too loud to wake them sure. up. And my wife is Ariel sleeping in the other room with Pippin. And so, but yeah, it's been, it's been good. The, the biggest like, life thing for us is we finally got everything cleared for fostering and we should start um probably on the 29th or the first depending on like the students we we've already gotten a referral for one of the students and we accepted assuming he um is still available and so we haven't heard back if if he will be placed with us because we wanted to wait until ariel's family is is gone we didn't want to like say hey welcome to kentucky and now we have a foster kid you know a a teenage foster kid that's going to do everything with us but yeah so we'll see we'll see how that goes yeah mom and dad mentioned a little bit about that said that you guys are waiting until you know your in-laws left and so i guess we'll we'll see how it turns out but i'm i'm rooting for you guys yeah thank you it should be pretty pretty awesome yeah, other than that, I don't think we have a whole lot going on. So let's jump into Riddles in the Dark, a little fun segment here. I'm going to go ahead and open up my three-in-one. This is my 50th anniversary edition. Oh, that's a beautiful Earthings. book. Yeah, isn't that cool? That's actually an awesome one, 50th anniversary edition. Yeah. Let me see if I can find a, a page to stump Seth with. <laughs> Good luck. Okay, this is going to be way too easy. Okay, but, well. So be it, he said. So be it, he said. Somebody else said. So they keep, yeah, uh, he com- uh, copied him. But not with your death only person, with the death also of your father and all of your people, whom it is your part to protect now that your brother is gone. I mean, yeah, that sounds like Denethor talking to Faramir. Yeah. I it, yeah I was like you wish now that our places crazy. had been ex- switched that I had that's died exactly and had lived that's literally yeah. the next yeah yeah I'm next sure one. it is yeah yes I wish that indeed said Denethor for Boromir was loyal to me and no wizard's pupil he would have remembered his father's need and would not have squandered what fortunes gave he would have brought me a mighty gift should I return father think differently of me <laughs> what a jerk um, of a what a jerk of a dad Denethor. Yeah, not a little a redemption in his story, but it's yeah, he's a he's a butt. <laughs> so well All done. Right. Uh, wait, 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 wait. What chapter? What uh, oh, book? I, <laughs> I don't know the names of the chapters. That's probably book five. Mm-hmm. Technically, do I know the chapter? 
No. No, I don't. <laughs> the Siege of Gondor. Is it really? Yeah, That's I think it's like one right at the beginning. That... It's a long chapter. Have... He does have long chapters. Like a lot happens in his chapters, at least in yeah. Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not so much in what we're about to get into. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way you're going to get the person who says this, but oh boy. It's, a kind of, right. it's kind of a fun one. All right, you ready? Well, let's try it out. Let's try it out. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, here we go. They're both cracked, said blank. Leastways, Bilbo was cracked, and Frodo's cracking. Oh, come on. That's, uh, uh, hold on, hold on. Samwise Gamgee's, is it the gaffer? Oh. It's around that conversation, but that's not who's talking. It's not the gaffer, is it? It's not Fatty Bulger. It's that guy who's just, he's a jerk to everybody. I forget his name. You're right. It's Fellowship (laughs) of the Ring. Uh-huh. The chapter, I guess, would be an unexpected party. Uh, Shadow of the Past, actually. Oh, okay. Shadow of the Past. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know his name. <laughs> it's Ted Sandyman. Ah, yeah, Sandyman. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he's a jerk. He's always, yeah, he he's always, yeah, gossiping about other people and. And then at the end of the at the end of the Return of the King, he he dug up he's, you know the party tree. And, everything yeah that's right that's good though i mean you you got the (laughs) you you knew the location and everything you just well i thought i thought the gaffer because that's it is that's how it is in the movie because yeah when when they're at the the green dragon i assume that's the inn or like the the bar that they're at Uh, he was saying that young mr frodo here here's kraken and Frodo's like proud of it, Gaffer. Cheers, you know. Okay, like that. so that's fair, and that's another cool way that Peter Jackson like tied in something from the books and adapted mm-hmm. it in a way that you know paid homage to it in the movie, but wasn't yeah perfectly wasn't... lined up. Definitely, no, that's good. Well, very good. We have uh, before we jump into the meat and potatoes of our podcast, we have a new section called Tidings of the Fellowship or Tidings from the Fellowship, rather. And so this is where we will read anyone's thoughts or questions or uh, just any any th- feedback we've gotten from the people listening. So this first uh, this first little excerpt is from Andrew, uh, one of our listeners. He emailed us at our weckpodcast at gmail.com email. Nobody's done the molden shower email, just so you know. That's good. <laughs> Happy to hear that. <laughs> so yes, this is from Andrew Shrump. I asked and he said, it's cool if I share his name on the podcast, but he says, hello. I have read this book once before by reading along that he's referring to Children of Hurin. I've yep. read this book once before by reading along with the audiobook read by Christopher Lee. I didn't know it was, it was going to be a tragedy when I started and was surprised the story didn't pick up as much at first in the few, first bunches of pages. The story is a good, solid one, though, and I enjoy reading Tolkien's works not only Lord of the Rings, but in the same world. His works always make me smile, and I want to close my eyes and just picture myself in the world and experiencing it and not just reading it. I love that. That is absolutely, Andrew, absolutely. And then he ends his little message with saying, I'm excited to be following along with you too through this story. Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that, Andrew. I I completely agree with the shutting my eyes and experiencing it, not just reading it. That's for me why I do the audiobooks a lot of times. I mean, mm. there will be times where I just go lay down in bed, not with the, you know, hope of going to sleep, but I'll just put on the book and shut my eyes and 
just what you're saying right there, Andrew, really strikes a chord with me. I get that tenfold. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love that, Andrew. That's that's beautiful. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've yeah I've fallen asleep to listening to the books or even like reading them. You know, just stopping for a second, yeah, closing my eyes, picturing myself in Lothlorien or Casa Doom. Sure. You know, some of these places that you just you want to go to so badly. Because it yeah. seems at the time better than what you're sitting in sometimes. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, there's definitely times like that. But thanks for sharing yeah. that, Andrew. We're we're excited to have you along, and hopefully, this can help bring some new insights to to a story that you've got a little experience with. And yes, it is a tragedy. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I think we've made that pretty clear at this point. Yeah, we'll yeah I'm definitely. sure it'll still catch some people off guard. <laughs> Um, and then we decided to, we, we have two Apple reviews. Um, so I feel like we should be able to double that by next podcast. Uh, oh, easy. Come on, four. guys. I mean, Come on. just two. Re- well, to be fair, I think we have five, five star reviews, which is awesome. Um, yeah, but only two, you. uh, reviews with an actual, with actual words. So I'll read the first one here, um, from Belka Walker, which Sam mentioned is our cousin Caleb, who shout out did a fantastic job with our intro and outro music. Yeah, um, he's the one that came up with that. So uh, our cousin Caleb said a fun podcast, which does a great job of explaining the lore. It's fun to hear the brotherly banter. And he would know he has two brothers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure, you know, kind of makes him feel like he's joking around with his brothers, too. Yeah. So yeah, we love you, Caleb, Missy, and the rest of the family out there. Absolutely. Shout out uh, Linville. And then not sure who this one is, but I figured I should have <laughs> the joy of reading this. It's uh You from should. You really should. Stefan the Dum Dum, which makes me think that it's maybe Steven's burner account. <laughs> um Steven's our middle brother, so maybe it's his burner account. I'm not sure. Uh it says, really love the podcast and the banter. I will say this though, that Seth guy seems really quite arrogant. Well, Stefan, the dum dum, you are correct. <laughs> uh, I love, I love that. it though. I love it. It's funny. And see people like just leave a review. You can leave a review and say literally anything. It won't phase us. Like, you know, as you've seen, we have a, a maraud of different thoughts about us, and we're pro- perfectly fine with that. <laughs> oh yeah, and if you have constructive criticism, feel free to to yeah let let it at us or leave throw it at us or whatever the saying is let us have it let us have it sure yeah <laughs> i was trying to combine like three of them and it just did not come out <laughs> <laughs> well yeah please continue to rate and uh c- comment on the podcast and review it so that we can continue to to enjoy that and share that with you guys but yeah thank you again andrew for sending sending in that uh beautiful beautiful little excerpt there appreciate it and hope you enjoy listening so let's jump into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. Today's lore. We're doing chapters two and three of Children of Hurin. And I'll just start off with, because chapter two, the, the name of the chapter is the Battle of Unnumbered Tears or the Nirnath An- Arnoidiad. Did I get it? Yeah. Yeah. Nicely yeah. done. All right. Done. <laughs> the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. But uh, I just put the very first thing. Lots of people died. <laughs> it is a very depressing chapter it's it's a really cool chapter because we get to see i mean tolkien uses like battle strategies and different plans and you kind of get a glimpse onto what both powers are thinking and like how to defeat one another morgoth and and madros and fengal and turgan all these guys so we'll get into that but it's it is pretty cool so 
to set the stage, Medros, one of the sons of Fëanor, decided he was going to gather as many people as he could, and he was going to attack Morgoth in his fortress of Angband. Because he has the Silmarils, and he wants to get back to him and and take those Silmarils, and also just destroy this evil being. So he ga- he he puts together a bunch of people. Some of the other sons of Feanor join him as well. And then we also have the House of Hador. That's Hurin and Huor, and uh, all their folk. And I think Haldir is is the guy with the the men of Brethel, right? Yep, so he's got the the, Brethel, yep. the woodsmen and. So Tolkien says that many songs are yet sung about this battle, but it would take more than a man's life to hear all the songs retold. So he's pretty much saying like this was very, very memorable for those who survived and they want to make sure that it's passed on because it was just that insane. Um, But you can find this battle in the Silmarillion. It's from a little bit of a different perspective. So we're just going to be looking at the perspective of the people who influenced in this book specifically. So the children who are in, um, or rather just Hurin and, and who are. Um, so, like I said, the battle was the alliance of men and elves and even dwarves as well. But specifically, what we're going to be focusing on is the House of Hador and Haldir and the elves, so the sons of Feanor, Fingon, the king of the Noldor, and Turgon, the king of Gondolin. This, like Sam's mentioning, it's a it's a big battle. It's the kind of the last big battle for Bullet. Well, I guess the last one without the Valar helping out. Um, yeah. And so this is, it's a big battle and unfortunately it does not go well for the, uh, the union of Maethros. I will say there's this, a couple of good resources. Um, <laughs> Sam's power just went out. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's why we switched just, it. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. There's a, I'm glad that you switched over to your Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's a couple of really good resources if you're curious about this. Uh, the first one is a YouTube channel called Tolkien Untangled. He does a fantastic job. He actually has a three-part series on just this battle. So it's three hours worth of explaining Jeez. what happened in this battle. So <laughs> if you really That's want cool. to dive that deep, go ahead and jump in there. It's it's interesting. It's been a while since I watched it, but he does a very, yeah. very good job. Um, and then secondly, as we go through this story, this is actually a website I just found. It's called lotrproject.com. It gives all kinds of maps. You can select characters and see where they're at at different points in the story. You can look at all the genealogies. I don't know. I found this last night as I was uh, doing my research to type up in the doc, and it's it's pretty cool. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a couple of good resources. Um, but anyways, jumping back in here. So the battle plan of... Maethros, which is uh, one of the sons of Feanor, he's kind of the brains behind all this. He's getting everybody together to try to storm Angband and take on Morgoth. Um, His idea is he's coming in, again, look at a map. He's coming in from the east, uh, the east of the Unfalgleather of Angband. There's this, the Unfalgleath is that giant scorched bit of earth right in front of the mountains of Thangaradrim and Angband. Um, And he's coming from the east. And with him is coming the dwarves of Belagost, which is one of the two main dwarven cities, and the Easterlings, uh, which are a group of men that really aren't fleshed out too much. We just know that they're from the Far East. They're not of the Edine, which is the three houses of men, the Hal- Halith, Hador, um, and, and Beor. It's not one of those houses. It's just men from the East, so they're the Easterlings. And he's going to march across the Enfalgleath, draw out 
Morgoth, and then as soon as Morgoth comes out, then Fingon and Turgon and the Men of Brethel and Hurin and I'm sorry, Hurin and Hur are going to swarm in and catch them as if between a hammer and an anvil. Um, so that's kind of the ideal battle plan that they've devised. Um, and have you have you heard that song, "The Hammer and the Anvil"? I haven't. That's uh, a fun. It's a sea sea shanty. I'll say that ten times fast. I am the blacksmith singing the hammer and the anvil song. It's it's funny. I like it. I continue. I mean, I like. I kind of like sea shanties. I I I'll, I'll sing it that. Uh, <laughs> there once was a ship that put to sea. I sing that all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You should send that to me. That'd be fun. Um, so and actually at this point they didn't know that Turgon, the king of Gondolin, was going to step forth and actually help open the. I I like how Tolkien describes it, the leaguer of Gondolin. I don't really, I've never heard that term. Like open the leaguer. <laughs> I don't, you know, really know what that means necessarily. Open the gates. Um, but I thought it was a a fun way of saying that. But yeah, uh, as as Fingon kind of looked at the mountains of Thangaradrim the volcanoes just had a giant puff of smoke and he knew that their their battle uh you know challenge was being accepted by morgoth morgoth has you know plenty of spies and knows the councils of the allies pretty well and so uh morgoth knew what was coming and he was it was his way of saying yeah let's do this um and for a hot second fingon the king of the noldor at the time he he really is starting to have some doubt he's like ah crap i don't know this is this is it should we go for this and then unsummoned came the trumpets of his brother tourgon from the hidden city of gondolin uh and that was completely unlooked for unexpected and ten thousand strong came marching um the the warriors of gondolin and <laughs> I, I actually listened okay <laughs> so sam did this part of the doc and he wants me to try to pronounce in elvish what fingon yells out so um, i did i did listen to it a couple of times so let's see if i can do it so when fingon heard the great heard afar the great trumpet of turgon his brother the shadow passed and his heart was uplifted and he shouted aloud utulian are and delia are antari the day has come. Behold, the people of the Eldar and the fathers of men, the day has come. And all those who heard his great voice echoed in the hills, answered crying, Otulia Iliome, night is passing. Nice. Well so done. That's not terrible. I don't exactly speak <laughs> Elvish, but it's kind of fun. I can just imagine like hearing that voice. I mean, it, it sounds beautiful. I have a hard time pronouncing it, but I'm sure if it's said properly, it's just mm -hmm. it sounds beautiful and i can see why that would you know really get the get the guys going um yeah so, absolutely kind of like i mentioned morgoth knew the battle plan he knew what was going on and so he his goal is to just draw out fingon and not get caught on two fronts yes but fingon is also quite smart as well and so he tells his his guys hey hold on don't don't rush in anything yet he actually tells them beware the guiles of morgoth lords ever his is strength more than it seems and his purpose other than he reveals so he's pretty much saying like you guys were up against a great foe not only just strong and powerful but also very deceiving and uh very cunning as well so he tells his, his people to kind of stand down and and hold on but 
Morgoth had a plan to draw them out. And this was like, I just, I just was reading this. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But uh, the captain of Morgoth, uh, he, he came out and he has some heralds with him and he brings out uh, this captive, this captive elf that he had had. And this guy's name was Gelmir, son of Gulian. Um, and so he brings it to like the front of the host of Fingon and he brings this guy up and he pretty much tells them, Hey, if you guys want to save other captives that we have, then you need to come get us. Like you need to like start your attack. Otherwise, this is what we're going to do to them. And what he does is he cuts off the arms and the legs of poor Gelmir and he just leaves them there. So he uses off his arms and legs, leaves them there. And then they're like, all right, see you later. We're going to go do that to the rest of our captives. If you don't come get us. And Unfortunately, Gwyndor, Gilmore's brother, had a front row seat to this mutilation. So, you know, when I was reading this, I just kind of pictured the black captain brings you out, holds you up, and cuts off your arms and legs. And I'm watching this happen. I'm like, oh my gosh, Seth, no. <laughs> and so, because of like the rage and the grief that he had for his brother, uh, he's just like, all right, guys, I'm going. See you later. <laughs> we're, we're taking off. And so he chases down the captains and the heralds, and he actually has a, a little bit of a host with him too. Some some people come with him on horseback, and they 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 catch up to the captain and the heralds, and they slew him. And by doing this, he started the assault on Angband. And then the host of Fingon decides to move along with with this uh, this attack. And Tolkien has a great way of describing just what this would look like. So he says, "The light of the drawing of the swords of the Noldor was like a fire in a field of reeds." You know, I could just imagine that the steel, you know, as they as they raise their swords high, you know, the glint the of the steel. sunlight probably hits it just perfectly. Yeah. 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 And you just see 10,000 swords up there in the air as they're charging down uh, to the gates of Angband. But the entire attack, Gwyndor, Gilmore's brother, was at the front of the battle and he was just fighting with like rage and anger and grief. And he he burst through like he was he was doing pretty well. Like he he burst through the outer gates of Angband and slew the guards in, inside, and he starts beating on the gates of Morgoth, like the doors of Morgoth. And Tolkien says that Morgoth started trembling for a hot second on his throne, but it didn't take long for for him to just kind of regain his cool. Yeah, so this is kind of if you can imagine, there's a line of the enemy, and uh, and Gwyndor and his group of elves just go through and slay everybody in their path. And in their battle rage, they don't realize what's happening. And they turn around and they're like, oh, crap, we just worked so far into the enemy that we're now surrounded by the people on either side that were, you know, they weren't in our way initially. And we, clo- you know, cloved our way through, cleaved our way. I don't know. Cleaved? Uh, cloven? <laughs> we clevened our way through. Yeah, I no, know, that's I not it. <laughs> um through everybody in their path, but now they're surrounded. Um, and, and, and Fengon is trying to come from, from behind to catch up to him and, and actually, you know, do this assault properly. So, uh, Morgoth really was successful in screwing up the battle plans of the Noldor and of Maethros. And he really is able to just throw everything into chaos, which is perfect for him because he has, you know, he has more forces. He, is able to wreak, wreak havoc on everything going on when there's no plan. And so Gwyndor's actually taken captive, uh, and he comes into the story later on uh, in a, another kind of tragic way. Uh, so we'll see that down the road. So just keep it, keep the name Gwyndor in your mind. Um, 
but day four of this battle is really when they named it, they dubbed it the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Um, and this is when, unfortunately, the Easterlings that were with Maethros on the east, as they were coming in to help, Morgoth had already poisoned them. He had already turned them to his side. So they are double agents at this point. And so yeah. as soon as they engaged with uh, Morgoth's forces, as soon as Maethros and the Easterlings and the Dwarves engaged with Morgoth's forces, the Easterlings turned on him and just completely routed all of the, you know, the forces that Maethros had. And so the, the Sons of Feanor on the east side of the battle just completely took off and ran just to try to save whoever they could because out of nowhere their allies became their enemies. Mm. At this point, that dragon Glaurong, who is also a huge character, he goes out uh, of Angband and has some pretty epic dueling with the dwarves. And it was said like the dwarves were the only ones that could withstand the fire of the dragons because of their uh, their armor and their the way like their helmets and basically their their craft with um, with smithying. They were the only ones that were able to withstand the dragon. So Glaurong and the other dragons, you know, went after the dwarves. And um, there's some pretty cool battles that happen with them. But at this point, unfortunately, uh, Haldir, which was the leader of the Men of Brethel, which is the uh, the forest, the woodsmen that were on the side of the Noldor, he dies along with his his men. And it's at this point when the battle is dubbed the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, because as Tolkien says, for no song or tale can contain all of its grief. Um, and if you actually think back to a podcast we did probably near the beginning, which was with the Noldor fleeing Valinor uh, and Feanor and his sons swearing the oath of Feanor, and then right as they were about to leave, they heard that voice, and they think it was Mandos, but they weren't sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a herald. They're, you know... They just heard this voice, and part of the voice said, Tears unnumbered ye shall shed. Um, and so I, it makes me wonder, was that a prophecy of this event or just an inevitable outcome of their actions? Or both. I mean, honestly, sometimes I tell like even my students, I'm like, dude, there's going to be natural consequences to your sin or my sin. Like the things that we do, like this is just what's going to happen. And so I think, but also there's some, there's definitely prophecy to that in the sense that this is literally called the battle of unnumbered tears, you know, and the sons of Feanor were engaged in that. And, you know, they, they saw a bunch of their friends die and, and they just had to run away from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> sons of Feanor, they flee, they, they run away. And at this point, the, the battle seems to be definitely on Morgoth's side. Like he seems to be taking, taking the lead on this um, because Fingon and the other Noldorian elves had to retreat. So they started backing across the Enfaugleith. And just as the, the armies of Morgoth caught up to surround Fingon's host, his brother Turgon uh, came with the army of Gondolin and they hastened their aid. And it says, Tolkien says that he cut his way through the ranks of the orcs to meet his brother Turgon, or uh, uh, Fingon, excuse me. And uh, said that the meeting of Turgon and, and Hurin also happened at the meeting of Fingon. So we got Turgon, Fingon, and Hurin. They all just kind of meet in the middle of this battle. And so they, they fought their way to that. 
Um, but Morgoth had so many reserves. Like the the amount of just orcs and minions he could just throw at these people is just ridiculous. So even though it seems like okay, wow, Turgon's here, he's he's pushed his way through. Maybe we've got you know a, a, a good battle on our hands. Morgoth just like no, nah, I got a lot more. And I think that really has to do with the treachery of the Easterlings because if you think about it, Morgoth is supposed to be fighting a battle on two fronts, and that's how the the Union of Mithros had planned it was to the hammer and the anvil. And right now you've got a hammer, but you have no anvil. You're you've got a pillow. And so, I mean, <laughs> you can beat them back, but there's nothing on the other side doing the same thing. And so all the forces that were supposed to be going after, uh, you know, Mithros can now turn around and attack Fingon and Turgon and Hurin and Hur. Yeah. Definitely. So just a, a, a tough, tough time for our, our heroes here. Uh, but Morgoth, like I said, had a lot of different reserves. And then he brings out Gothmog, the Lord of Balrogs. So again, we only see one Balrog in Lord of the Rings. And we see how powerful that Balrog is to take out Gandalf one-on-one. Now we have Lord of Balrogs, Gothmog, coming out. Um, he's the high captain of Angband, and he drove the brothers apart, separating Turgon and Fingon. So again, they they fought together. They were next to each other. One like, and I I assume that made them stronger. You know, like whenever sure. like you and I are together, like I feel like if we were if fighting a battle, I'm gonna be way more strong with you next to me. I'm gonna be like fighting better with you next to me as opposed sure. to apart. And so I think that's very obvious that you know Gothmog was trying to separate these guys. Um, yep. And so then Hurin and Hur ended up with Turgon, the king of Gondolin. So Fingon was alone. He stood alone, and his guard was slain about him, and Gothmog fought with Fingon until... I mean, it, this is proof to like how strong Fingon was, because he, he was fighting this Balrog one-on-one with nobody else around him, and there's just a host of, of uh, Morgoth's minions attacking him. He's, biting, he's fighting this, this guy one-on-one, and then another Balrog comes behind and casts a thong of steel about him. Yeah, and it kind of makes me wonder because Fingon is Fingolfin's son. And if you remember, mm-hmm. we did talk about Fingolfin a little bit. He actually went and attacked Morgoth directly um, and wounded Morgoth. And so, like, his son is attacking this, you know, just an all out battle against the Lord of Balrogs. I mean, like, this, the line of these elves is pretty impressive. And Sam's yeah. power went out again. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I'm back on. <laughs> Yeah, so you know our our, our man Fingod's fighting for his life. He's doing the best he can, but unfortunately, uh, Gothmog has another Balrog sneak up behind him, and they they capture him. And then it, Tolkien says that Gothmog hewed him with his black axe, and this is interesting: a white flame sprang up from the helm of Fingon as it was cloven, and the forces of Morgoth beat him into the dust and rod into the mire of his blood. So it it. Pretty pretty tragic death for our, our man Fingon. But what do you think's going on with the white flame springing up after he's his head? I assume is cut off. So Tolkien talks about at the, as the elves when they pass or their their bodies are destroyed, they have what they call a feya, which is equivalent to their spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feya, I imagine, is probably what the white you know the white flame was it was his feya leaving it was his spirit leaving his body and traveling to the halls of mandos to be judged um, gotcha it's interesting because tolkien describes the same type of thing with other characters as well um 
he don't, men don't have this, but other beings of Valinor do. And so when if you go back and reread um, The Return of the King, it actually happens twice. Uh, once with Sauron, when he dies, there's like this vapor that comes up and is blown to the east, mm-hmm. uh, away from the west, away from Valinor. Yeah. And then when Grima kills Sauron at the end of The Return of the King, it's the same type of thing. There's this, it's not a white flame, but it's like this, this vapor, this, yeah, I don't know what, it, how I, I should reread it and see exactly how he describes it, but it's, it, that's what it reminds me of. And again, it's blown to the East away from Valinor. Whereas yeah. I imagine, um, Tolkien doesn't really describe, uh, but I'm sure that this white flame that left the helmet of, of Fingon was blown to the West to be judged by Mandos. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, yeah, I was, I was thinking maybe like some, something along the lines of like the flame imperishable that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, Tolkien's Holy Spirit, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right on there. Like the the spirit of of the elves, and I think it. Yeah, I forgot about like Sauron and Saruman and how they're that's described when they die. And it's interesting too that it's not a white flame; it's a vapor. You know, it's kind of probably more distinct, like more extinguished, more uh tainted you know based off right. of their actions and what they've done and obviously blowing to the east as opposed to the west is obviously really important too but yeah that's huh. i, I, I love how he just i love how he just drops stuff in there that we can just think about and ponder and come up with our own explanation like he didn't have to do that and he could have explained it but he's like oh, just let them have fun with it yeah i mean it's a it's kind of quicker side it's kind of like I don't know the, there's a whole storytelling method with like mystery boxes you know it's like a russian doll full of mysteries and sometimes the whole storyline is just trying to figure out what those mysteries are and that's kind of what rings of power did it was just mystery after mystery after mystery and right. they explained some they didn't explain others and quite frankly it got boring but the sure. way tolkien does it in this story it's it's really kind of beautiful because you've got the whole story in the background but then there's these little mystery boxes that you can dive deeper into but he doesn't yeah. necessarily explain them but it's not the main focus of the story you know sure i love it yeah so at this point uh so fengon's dead he's all his elves are are slain about him all that's left pretty much uh you know um, Haldir from Brethil's dead along with the woodsmen. So pretty much all that's left now is Turgon from Gondolin and then the brothers. And if you remember from last time's episode, uh, they actually know each other because Huor and Hurin actually visited Gondolin. They were the only mortal men to have done that. And so at this point, the battle's lost. It's the battle of unnumbered tears. It is, it is over. Um, and so the brothers actually spoke to Turgon, and I'll just read some excerpts here. Um, Hurin said, "Go now, Lord, while time it while time is, for you are the last house, last of the house of Fingolfin, and in you lives the last hope of the Eldar. While Gondolin stands, Morgoth shall still know fear in his heart." And Turgon replied grimly, and was basically like, "Yeah, but there's nobody to defend." you know, my hidden kingdom now, Morgoth can put all his forces on finding me, and then once he finds us, there's nothing we can do. As Sam's power flickers on and off. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep looking up like, what's going on? I know. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, and Huor, Huron's brother, uh, actually replies, and 
this is really interesting if you kind of break down what he says here. He says, I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death, though we part here forever, and I shall not look on your white walls again, from you and from me, a new star shall arise. Farewell. Mm. Um, so, Sam, what's that? What's that? Like, break that <clears throat> apart. What does that make you think of? Yeah. You know, when he's saying, I, he's saying, I'm, I'm not going to see your white walls again. So he's like, I'm, I'm dead. I yep. just accept my fate. I'm going to die. And, but from this story, from what's happening from you and from me, a new star w- will arise. I assume that's talking about Arindel. Yeah, exactly. His son, uh, two. So let's see. I always, whenever I say the names without thinking them, I mix them <laughs> up. So it's who or son Tuor Correct. is the yeah. father of Arindel. Um, and so he's basically saying like, it's a, it's like a prophecy from you and from me because Tuor, his son marries Turgon's daughter, Idril right. Celebrindel. Um, and so they, they have a baby. That baby's name is Arindel, who then gets a Silmaril and goes up into the sky and becomes a star. So just the yeah. way it's phrased, cool. he's like, from you and from me, a new star shall arise. Like, that's just so perfectly spot on. It, I just, I love the connection there. Yeah, I didn't actually get that the first time I read that, but absolutely. I mean, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, Maeglin, uh, Turgon's sister son, and I love how Tolkien says that, like, um, Theoden refers to Eowyn as sister daughter, you know. Uh, I love sister son and sister daughter as opposed to like niece or nephew, you know. It just, it's it's more deep. I don't know. I like it. Yeah. Um, but he overheard this, and I won't get into it because it doesn't really affect this tale much, but Maeglin is a pretty prominent player in the fall of Gondolin, and it's, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it stems from his jealousy of, of Tour, Tour's son. Gotcha. Um, so at, at this point, Turgon agrees and is like, all right, you're right. I, I hate to leave the battle, but I'll go. And he goes and flees with his captains while the brothers, Huor and Hurin, kind of are on the rear guard fighting and preventing the orcs from uh, overwhelming Turgon. Uh, and he leaves with his captains, Ecthelion and Glorfindel. And yes, Glorfindel. It's, the, it's the same Glorfindel um, as you see in Lord of the Rings. Uh, so the brothers actually, they retreated and retreated and retreated. And again, if you look at a map, it'll make more sense, but there's this, this river stream called the Renville. And basically once they get to that stream, they're like, all right, this is where we're putting up our fight. We're on the other side of this. They're going to have to cross the stream to come at us. And this is where we make our stand. And Tolkien describes it as all the forces of Angband swarmed against them and they bridged the stream with their dead. So it was just like rushing at the brothers and eventually the stream was no longer a barrier because there are so many dead orcs and Easterlings and what other forces he had. There are just so many of them slain in the river that they made a bridge. And unfortunately, this is where Huor, the brother of Huorin uh, and father of Tuor, this is where he falls. He gets nailed in the eye with an arrow that is uh, dipped in poison. That happens to men often. Isn't Aragorn's, didn't Aragorn's dad die by an arrow to the eye? Yep, he sure did. Yeah, it's a a common way of demise for the men for some reason. (laughs) I don't know why Tolkien does that. Yeah, Um, that's, that's weird. Yeah, but... 
basically at this point, it just leaves Hurin because all their their guard is dead about them. His brother's dead, and it's just him left. And he um, actually, Tolkien says that he seizes the axe of an orc captain and drops his shield and starts swinging the axe two-handed. Um, and the axe smoked in the black blood of the troll guard of Gothmog until it withered. And so he Dude, was, was killing ca- people until the axe withered. He was killing trolls, my man. He was killing <laughs> trolls That's until awesome. the axe just fell apart. Um, and Tolkien even describes like as he hewed off the hands of the orcs, they like even after they were hewed away, they would still grab onto them. Um, and that really, you know, makes me think of like the burrow downs from the Fellowship of the Ring right. when when the hobbits are, you know, and the uh, the downs and the you know, the barrel whites come out and grab on to Frodo and it's like just a yeah. hand. That's kind of what it makes me really? think. But yeah. Um, Creepiest part of any, <laughs> any of his books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then Tolkien says he did this 70 times and every time he swung that ax, he yelled Aure and Tuluva, uh, which is day shall come again. And eventually Morgoth knew that Tur- that Hurin couldn't last. And so he takes him he takes him as captive. He doesn't want to kill him. He, he wants to really, um, he wants to make a point with him. And so, and he wants information from him as well. So he, he actually just takes him alive and, and brings him back to Angband. And unfortunately, um, for Morgoth, Turgon got away and Turgon was one of his, he was scared of Turgon because Tolkien said that every time that, that Morgoth looked at Turgon when they were in Valinor together, uh, a dark shadow would fall on his spirit, foreboding that in some way, in a time that yet lay hidden, doom from Turgon should come to him. And that doom, obviously, is Erendel. So uh, Morgoth doesn't know that, but that's why he he wants to get Turgon so bad. So that's kind of... That kind of wraps up the end of chapter three there. Yeah, I'm watching Ariel take Pippin out into the snow. It's just really funny. He's like, I don't like this at all. This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so this chapter is really cool. We get to see a lot of dialogue from Morgoth, which is interesting because we don't get to see that a whole lot through his works. Uh, but we do get to see a lot of Morgoth's thought, like what his plans are. But here we see a lot of dialogue between him and between um, his his captive, Hurin. So this starts with the this chapter starts with the creation of the Hod in Nirnath, which was a mound created by the command of Morgoth, and it contained all the bodies and harnesses and weapons of their enemies. Just a mound of humans and elves and dwarves, just to be really menacing and intimidating. And uh, it was with great effort that the orcs did this and created a pile in the middle of the Enfalgleith. Uh, but uh, there is hope in this. Tolkien says that grass came there and grew again, long and green upon that hill, alone in all the desert, and no servant of Morgoth thereafter trod upon the earth beneath which the swords of the Eldar and the Edain crumble into rust. So again, Tor's like, er, uh, Tolkien's saying, like, hey, there's, this is really, really dark. This is really, really awful. But he takes that second to be like, but there's hope in that. And and yeah. there will come a day where where grass grows again and, and all these bodies after they decay and, and disappear, you know, light shines in the darkness pretty much. And um, it was actually the same mound that, that you say, Rian? Is that how you say your name? Rian, yeah. That's how Rian. I would say it. 
<clears throat> the wife of Hur and the mother of Tur found and just gave up her life at that point because she knew her her husband was dead there and had no will to live. Um, but then Morgoth sent the Easterlings to Dor Loman, to the land of Hurin, to where his his family is, and he shut them in, for, forbidding them to leave. He was like, hey, this is your reward for betraying your friends and fighting for me. This is all you get, which was pretty messed up. Um, but there they plundered and harassed the women and the children of the of Hador's people. Yeah, so that's basically, um, you know, where Turin is right now. He's still a young boy and where his mother Morwen and the rest of their people are. And the Easterlings just run amok and get to do what they want. But Morgoth is basically like, yeah, here's your reward. You're shut in here. You can't leave. Yeah, um, pretty much. Honestly, up. doesn't sound like a good reward for completely turning on everybody. Right. And then having that legacy forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so at this point, Morgoth's thoughts were ever to find Turgon. And like I mentioned earlier, he he feared what may come of Turgon escaping. And so he brought Hurin uh, to himself and he put him to slow torment. And he tried to daunt Tur or tried to daunt Hurin with his eyes, but Hurin would not be daunted. So at one point, after torture, like the slow torment of um, of Hurin, he Morgoth takes him and he brings him to the Haddon and Nirnaith and just starts a conversation with him. Um, and it's interesting because it says that Hurin the Steadfast mocked him and then the following conversation took place. But Hurin the Steadfast is capitalized. I just found that to be pretty cool like he earned because of this dialogue here he earned the title the steadfast yeah no that's super neat so seth thought it would be a really cool idea and i i completely agree to just kind of read their conversation it's it's like a page and a half and that's the entire chapter is just there talking so naturally i gave seth the role of morgoth the one and i i will be speaking on the behalf of hurin <clears throat> so this is right after he mocked him he said Blind you are, Morgoth, Bauglir, and blind shall ever be, seeing only the dark. You know not what rules the hearts of men, and if you knew, you could not give it. But a fool is he who accepts what Morgoth offers, and probably implying, you know, to the Easterlings there, like, what a bunch of fools for accepting what, what you offered to him. Yeah, you, will take yeah. first, you will take first the prize, and then withhold the promise, and I should get only death, if I told you what you ask. And then Morgoth laughed, and he said... <laughs> Death you may yet crave of me as a boon. And this is when he took Hurin to the Haddon and Nirnaith, and it was new built, and the reek of death was upon it. And Morgoth set Hurin upon its top, and bade him look westward toward the Hithlum, and to his wife and his son and his other kin. For they dwell now in my realm, said Morgoth, and they are at my mercy. I love Hurin's response to this. He just goes simply, You have none. Yeah. What mercy are you talking about? You have none when it comes to mercy. But you will not come at Turgon through them, for they do not know his secrets. Like, they don't know where Gondolin is. Then Wrath mastered Morgoth, and he said, Yet I may come at you, and all your cursed house, and you shall be broken on my will, though you were made of steel. And he took up a long sword that lay there, and he broke it before the eyes of Hurin, and a splinter wounded his face. But Hurin did not blanch, 
Then Morgoth stretching out his long arm, arm towards Dorloman, Dor cursed Hurin and Morwen and their offspring, saying, Behold, the shadow of my thought shall lie upon them wherever they go, and my hate shall pursue them to the ends of the world. This is where uh, Hurin gets a little, little cocky and maybe doesn't quite understand what he's saying, but he, he responds with, You speak in vain, for you cannot see them, nor govern them from afar, not while you keep this shape, and desire still to be a king visible here on earth. Then Morgoth turned upon Hurin and said, Fool, little among men, and they are the least of all that speak. Have you seen the Valar, or measured the power of Manwe and Varda? Do you know the reach of their thought? Or do you think perhaps that their thought is upon you, and they may shield you from afar? I know not, said Hurin, yet it might be, if they willed, for the Elder King shall not be dethroned while Arda endures. You say it, said Morgoth. I am the Elder King, Melkor, first and mightiest of all the Valar, who was before the world and made it. The shadow of my purpose lies upon Arda, and all that is in it bends slowly and surely to my will. But upon all whom you love, my thought shall weigh as a cloud of doom. It shall bring them down into darkness and despair. Wherever they go, evil shall arise. Whenever they speak, their words shall bring ill counsel. Whatsoever they do shall turn against them. They shall die without hope, cursing both life and death. But Hurin the Steadfast answered, Do you forget to whom you speak? Such things you spoke long ago to our fathers, and we escaped your shadow. And now we have knowledge of you, for we have looked on the faces that have seen the light, capital L, and heard the voices that have spoken with Manway. Before Arda, you were, but others also, and you did not make it. Neither are you the most mighty, for you have spent your strength upon yourself and wasted it in your own emptiness. I love that. No more are you now than an escaped thrall of the Valar, and their chain still awaits you. You have learned the lessons of your masters by rote, said Morgoth, but such childish lore will not help you. Now they are all fled away. This last, then, I will say to you, thrall Morgoth, said Hurin, and it comes not from the lore of the Eldar, but is put on my heart in this hour. By who? I don't know. Yeah. You are not the lord of men, and shall not be, though all Arda and Menel fell in your dominion. Beyond the circles of the world, you shall not pursue those who refuse you. Beyond the circles of the world, I will not pursue them, said Morgoth. For beyond the circles of the world, there is nothing. But within them, they shall not escape me until they enter into nothing. You lie, said Hurin. You shall see, and you shall confess that I do not lie, said Morgoth. And taking Hurin back to Angband, he set him in a chair of stone upon a high place of Thangoradrim. And from which he could see afar from the, the land of Hithlam in the west and the lands of Beleriand to the south. There was bound by the power of Morgoth, and Morgoth standing beside him, he cursed him again and set his power upon him so that he could not move from that place nor die until Morgoth should release him. Sit now there, said Morgoth, and look upon the lands where evil and despair shall come upon those whom you have delivered to me. For you have dared to mock me, and have questioned the power of Melkor, master of the fates of Arda. Therefore with my eyes you shall see, and with my ears you shall hear, and nothing shall be hidden from you. And that is the end of chapter 3. 
So pretty gloomy and what an awesome just exchange between the two. Hurin is not daunted by the power and the evil of Morgoth and Morgoth is, is just anger, angered at the, the fact that this guy would stand against him. He doesn't just kill him right away. He, he plans to torment him and, and give him the eyes to see and the ears to hear everything that Morgoth sees and hears. And so I can imagine just how dark and evil that would feel to, to be able to see everything through the lenses of, of Morgoth. Yeah, and and it, if you keep in mind the perspective as we continue down this story, at this point, you don't really hear about Hurin and what's going on with him. Like, he basically falls out of the story till the very end, and it focuses primarily on his son, Turin, but on his other, other child, uh, Neonor, as well. But as this story progresses, just keep thinking back to the fact that Turin's father and Neonor's father is watching everything that happens to them and listening to everything that's happening. And he can't do anything about it. So imagine the type of torture that he, that Hurin is going through because he can't die. He he's not Morgoth cursed him to the point where it's like, he can't just give up his life. So through for, you know, years and years, he's just stuck listening to this torture of his children. Yeah, that's pretty dark. Whew. Well, next week we go into the departure of uh, Turin, and so we get into his story, and that's where it starts picking up. We start understanding a little bit more about the houses of Hador, the men of uh, of Turin's household, of Hurin's household, and, and just get to see what's going on in, in Turin's mind. Now that he doesn't know what's going on with his dad, he didn't come back from war, he's going to set out on his own. So it's a very interesting uh, chapter that I'm excited to get into. Any final thoughts? No, I just... Uh, I really like that exchange between Morgoth and, and Hurin. I read it a few times and there's a lot of little nuggets in there that if you, if you care to dive deeper, um, they might stand out to you. Uh, that's mm -hmm. not like a hint for anything in particular, but there's just a lot of really cool things within that dialogue. A lot of cool yeah. references. Absolutely. Well, very good. That brings us to our uh, last segment, Gondor Calls for Aid. So we are breaking into the halls of Meadowsteld and shouting, Gondor Calls for Aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? If you like the podcast, please share with fellow friends and fans. And also don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Obviously, whatever you have to say, we will gladly and happily share it on our Tolkien podcast here. Uh, also, email us at weckpodcast at gmail.com for any thoughts, just like Andrew did, and we'll share those as well. Um, but what to expect next time we meet up is going to be at least uh, chapter four of The Children of Hurin and the adventures of Turin Turinbar. Well, I guess he doesn't get that name yet, but that will come <laughs> later on. A little bit later. Yeah. A little bit later. Until then, we bid you a very fond farewell.